It's a reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I wear skinny jeans, and I ride a fixie. I have a full beard... Or maybe I even wax my moustache. I drink single-origin pour-overs and eat small-batch everything. I'm a hipster. A hipster is a strange beast. On the one hand, they dress like a lumberjack, uh, but then they all use Macs, and they have artisan sleeve tattoos uh, most of the time. They're a subculture. Uh, You see them around. Hipster culture is a movement against the mainstream. It's, it's a movement that's against McDonald's culture. You know, the point of McDonald's is that it's the same everywhere. Uh, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, a Big Mac always tastes like a Big Mac. Uh, but some people think that that's what's wrong with pop culture these days, the, the blandness, the sameness of it all. Uh, there's nothing unique. Uh, all of it is cheap, kind of throwaway junk. And so out comes this resistance movement, Uh, hipsters putting value on the opposite things, Uh, handmade clothes, uh, small batch foods, bands so obscure they don't even exist yet, Uh, unique products, unrepeatable experiences like a Sufjan Stevens concert. There's actually something really good and beautiful about what hipsters are trying to do. They're trying to uh, work against something that they think is wrong with pop culture. But it's still just a subculture. Uh, Hipsters oppose mainstream culture in lots of ways, uh, but in essence, it's built on the same foundation. Uh, The idea that we create ourselves through the clothes we wear or the products that we consume, it's still the same thinking. Uh, It's just one subculture within a bigger culture of materialism. And Matthew 5 is is kind of a bit like that. It's it's a new way of living that's different to the culture around you. But Jesus isn't just talking about a subculture. He's talking about something different entirely. 
Uh, John Stott, uh, speaking of this passage, uh, calls it the Christian counterculture. Uh, Not just a different appearance, uh, but a fundamentally different way of living. Uh, New values, a new lifestyle that belongs to God's kingdom and different to what we see in the world around us. Uh, That's the setting for chapter 5 that we've hit tonight. Uh, Jesus teaching this new way. Uh, Previously in Matthew, we've seen him calling uh, the 12 disciples, like the 12 tribes of Israel. He's starting this new people of God gathered around him as the king. And these big crowds start to follow him. But instead of uh, playing off to the crowds, uh, he heads out to the mountains. Have a look at verse 1 with me. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. See, it's the disciples who come out to him. And uh, he teaches them what it means to be his disciple, to belong to him. Uh, This is what it looks like. And uh, the scene has this Old Testament feel. It feels like... Uh, when Moses goes up the mountain uh, to receive uh, God's word, uh, to tell Israel how they were to live when they go into the land. And now we see Jesus doing a similar kind of thing. He goes up on a mountainside uh, to speak the word of God about how they are to live as his people. And it's radical. I don't know if you felt that as uh, it was read out for us, but it really is, it's radical. They were radical words uh, for the people who first heard them and they're radical for us as well. It's, it's radical about what it means to be happy. Verses 3 to 10 are often called the Beatitudes. Uh, that just comes from the Latin word which means blessed. Uh, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, But that word is actually tricky to put your finger on, uh, really, because the word that Jesus used wasn't a particularly religious word. Uh, Blessed sounds very religious to us. Uh, That's why some translations of the Bible use the word happy. It's a much simpler word. But even happy, happy is kind of too psychological, too emotional. Uh, Jesus is talking about something much more concrete here. Uh, You almost need some Aussie slang to really get a feel for it. It's like he's saying, uh, good on you if you're poor in spirit. Or things are sweet for you if you're meek. I think that helps us to see something about the radical nature of what Jesus is talking about because he's describing the good life. This is the best life you can have. Uh, Every culture has a picture of what the good life is. Uh, if you were going to do the Aussie version of the Beatitudes, it would go something like this. Uh, good on you if you don't take life too seriously. Uh, things are sweet for you if you can buy a house and retire early. That's kind of the Australian dream. Uh, but this is Jesus' picture of the good life. And it's radical because it's not what we'd pick. These are the things, as he goes through, and this is what counts in Jesus' counterculture. And you'll notice that it's radical in the way it thinks about God. Now, we don't really have time tonight to step through them one by one, 
so come and ask me if you have any questions about them later on. Uh, but just have a look at a couple of them. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, it's talking about a deep and genuine desire to please God. Just uh, think of that feeling the last time you were really hungry or super thirsty, uh, that, that feeling of just being desperate uh, for something to eat, just for a drink. Uh, it's that feeling but attached to righteousness, that kind of longing to please God with how you live. To live a life of purity, to be pure in heart, uh, out of a deep love for God. That's what Jesus says is the good life. And it's a radical thing in our world. I was listening to a podcast recently, and in the course of uh, the show, um, the, the guest on the show was just kind of making a joke and mentioned that her family went to church when she was growing up. And this is how the conversation went. The the host picked up on it and said, oh, you went to church. Uh, What kind of church was it? And she said, Christian? Catholic? I don't know. Uh, And the host said, ah, so so when did you move on from God? Have your parents moved on from God? Yeah, actually. The whole family has. It's really nice. We've moved on from God. It makes it easier. Now, I don't want to single that person out because I think that's pretty typical for our culture. That was an AFL podcast, right? That was just a sidebar conversation uh, that got mentioned and then moved right along to talking about the Dockers. But it will be so strange if you hunger and thirst to please God with your life. It will be a radical thing that will look very different to the world around you. And it's radical to think about the good life like that. But the reason is the reward. The reward is that God promises ultimate satisfaction for people like that. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will get what they desire. See, the word uh, for being filled there means uh, stuffed, absolutely fattened up, uh, full to overflowing. And Jesus is pointing forward to the future uh, when God's people will be made righteous. We'll see him face to face. And that longing to know God, to please him, that hunger, uh, that'll be satisfied. And to please yourself, to hunger and thirst for pleasure or for food or clothes or career, uh, those things are ultimately empty. They don't satisfy. They're temporary and they will waste away. But true satisfaction is found in God. Jesus is serious when he says, it's your best spot. It's the best spot to be if you're living for God, to please him. He says, that's the good life. So it's radical in the way that it thinks about 
a loving God, these verses. But Jesus is also radical in the way that he tells his disciples to think about themselves and others. Have a look at verse 5. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Or verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus' people aren't self-promoting or aggressive or greedy. It's, it's the opposite. To belong to God, to his kingdom, means sometimes looking small or going unnoticed. And often it's, it's very costly. Uh, to do these things, to live out being meek and merciful, uh, will mean uh, being generous with your time and money to care for those in need. Uh, not just using people to get what you want and then moving on. And it will mean absorbing hurts yourself in order to be peacemakers for others in relationships. And again, I think that attitude is radical in our culture. Uh, who's seen the latest UWA advertising material? A few people. Uh, so basically, it's, it's like people wearing a UWA kind of jumper, but instead of UWA, it has just U, and then off to the side it says WA but U as in Y-O-U, get it? U-W-A. Uh, and so this is, this is the, um, you know, there's, there's videos uh, online and stuff. Anyway, the ad says, uh, you can explore your interests. You can develop your skills. And you get more opportunities at U-W-A. It's not really subtle, is it? You know, advertising really is, but it's about you. Guess what? It's not about seeking knowledge, after all. Uh, it's certainly not about building a better society. It's just you. As long as you're happy, uh, that's what UWA is all about. And that's just the culture that we live in. That it's about you. It's about getting everything you can. But Jesus says you're in the best spot if you're meek. And so to believe Jesus, to follow him on that, is really to swim hard against the flow of our culture, to be completely countercultural. But God's people can do that now because of the reward in store for those who belong to Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek will be rewarded with everything. Jesus points forward to the new creation, the riches of eternal life with God in the new world that he's made. That is the inheritance that he's talking about. And so it means that God's people now don't have to clamour and fight for riches and power to get one off on other people. We don't have to do that now because of the reward in store for God's people. Uh, so Jesus' words here in Matthew 5 are radical about what it means to be happy, what it means to have the good life. And it means a, a radical love for God that honours him above all else and a radical selflessness when it comes to others. Uh, but Jesus' words are also radical about who the kingdom belongs to. 
Uh, as you go through, verses 4 to 9 kind of give us the content, uh, what Jesus' kingdom is like, but verses 3 and 10 are slightly different. I'm not sure if you picked that up. They're like bookends of the Beatitudes. Instead of some, promising something future, uh, like they will inherit the earth, it's present. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And see, it's about who the kingdom belongs to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3. Or verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, the kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to the winners now. Especially not the religious winners, people who thought that they were something special. To be poor in spirit uh, doesn't mean you've got kind of like a nasty character or something. Uh, To be poor in spirit is uh, to recognise your spiritual need. And in fact, that's really the key to the lot. To recognise your need for God. To recognise your need for forgiveness. Your spiritual poverty before God. And so to run to Jesus for forgiveness. Not to take uh, this list of Beatitudes and think, ah, oh, this is the job that I need to do, and if, I, if only I could do it properly, uh, then I'll get there and God will be happy with me. No. The first one is to recognise that you are poor in spirit and desperately in need of God's forgiveness and to run to him. And that really went... Uh, against the culture of Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, uh, the Pharisees were the guys uh, who thought that the kingdom belonged to them. Uh, They were the winners. They were the uh, religious uh, winners of the day, the most strict, proud of their observance. Uh, But Jesus says the kingdom doesn't belong to people like that. It belongs to people who can see their need. Go to Jesus for forgiveness, and even to suffer for the sake of belonging to him. That's what he says there in verses 10, 11, and 12. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven if you're persecuted on account of me. Now, if that was all we had to cover tonight, then I think that would be enough. To see uh, Jesus teaching his disciples about this radical love for God and this radical selflessness to each other and the radical humility that clings to him. Uh, But there's a double challenge tonight. Not just uh, to take that on board, not just to uh, think it through for ourselves, uh, but to live it out and to live it out large, to make it obvious Now, that's what Jesus says next, uh, with these two metaphors, starting from verse 13, about salt and light. Uh, The point is that this Christian counterculture is meant to stand out in the culture where it is. Uh, That's the point of the illustrations. The, uh, The salt illustration works like that, because you can tell when salt has been added to something, can't you? Uh, In the ancient world, uh, salt was really essential to life. Uh, for taste, but also for preserving food. And in both those ways, you, it, it always had an impact. You could tell it was there. And the same thing for light. Uh, a light affects everything in the room. And it's just absurd to then turn it on and, and cover it up. 
And it's crazy to have salt that's tasteless. Like, what, what is that even doing? Just get rid of it. It's useless. Because in both cases, it loses its very purpose. And so Jesus says this counterculture, living this out, is meant to be obvious, to be seen and tasted by the world around. His people are meant to do good and to point towards God by living out uh, these new values and this new lifestyle. Uh, Jesus is again uh, grabbing ideas from the Old Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament, Israel were meant to be a light to the Gentiles, to all the other nations. Uh, And so when Jesus talks about a city on a hill, the people listening would have immediately thought about Jerusalem. That was the city on a hill, uh, the glorious city of God with the temple, the the city that everyone could see and would uh, go to to worship God. And so Jesus uses the same ideas. But this time it's not about a physical city. He uses the same idea to talk about the people, uh, the new people that he started. Um, You know how... If you plant a church, church plants need a groovy, edgy name. If they're new, they can't be called St. Matthew's, uh, something boring like that. So there's a church in Melbourne called City on a Hill. Actually, that's a really good name, isn't it? <laughs> they've, they've, they've got that because they've understood what Jesus is calling his people to, to be a city on a hill, a, a light that shines out something of what God is like and what his people ought to be like as well. It's the church who are that city of lights, showing what the good life looks like, doing good, showing mercy, being peacemakers in the way they love each other and forgive one another. Uh, I'm workshopping some other church names. Uh, Rock Salt Church, because we're meant to be salty, and also Jesus is the rock, so... Rock salt. We, we can throw around some other ideas, it's okay. We're almost there. As we finish, uh, I just want to point out one mistake. One mistake as we think about all this. And it, this may just be peculiar to me. Uh, it's the mistake that I always make in thinking about this. I think that it's about me. I think, oh man, I need to make my life different. I need to stand out. I need to um, be a really impressive Christian. Uh, That's really crucial. But can you see that that runs against what Jesus is saying about being poor in spirit and and meek? If if he then said, oh, but, you know, big note yourself. Uh, No, when he says, uh, you are the light of the world, it's plural. Uh, He means that collectively, as a community, yous are the light of the world. And so we need to ask uh, the question of us as a community, is that what we're like? How obvious are we? Uh, Do Christians stand out more or less than hipsters? You can spot a hipster, right? Um, They live out their subculture in a a really public and obvious way. You can tell when they're around. Uh, But hipsters have to make a big show about how different they look because, in essence, they have the same culture as everyone else. Uh, They have individualism at at the heart of them. They just have different clothing. 
But Christian distinctiveness isn't like hipster distinctiveness, where a counterculture, not just a subculture, or a counterculture built on different values, on the value of honouring God above all else, selflessness towards other people, and a deep humility before God that runs to him and clings to Jesus as the Saviour. So I think that's the question we need to uh, leave with tonight, to think think about our life as a community and think about the other Christian communities that you're in, the ones uh, where you have relationships uh, that are obvious to the world. You might think about your hub group. You might not um, meet, you know, at the... You know, out, out in public, you might meet in someone's house, but your relationships in many ways are public, the way you treat one another. How obvious is uh, your hub group and their relationships? And is it built on those kingdom values that Jesus is talking about? Uh, what about the Christian Union? That's a, a Christian community that's uh, really uh, obvious to the world around. How distinctive are you in the way you treat one another? within CU. You could ask that question of common ground or solid rock. Uh, What is that Christian community like? How is it shaped? Do you live out what Jesus is saying here? Or for us here at Union Church, Sunday nights. It's not just about the event, but about us as a people, as a community. How do we relate to each other? Are we marked by meekness? And peacemaking? Uh, Are we looking forward to the reward that God has in store for his people? And is that affecting how we live now? And is that having an impact? Can that be seen by the world around so that they might look on and realize that the good life is not found in pursuing pleasure or pursuing money or pursuing uh, their own career achievement? Will they look on and see the good life found in the Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would be at work in our community here at Uni Church and in the other Christian communities that you have placed us within. We ask, Father, that we would be marked by these things that Jesus teaches, uh, that we might hear his words tonight and that they might deeply affect uh, our lives, uh, the way we treat one another, uh, the way we love the world around us, and would we cling firmly to the hope of that great reward that you have in store for your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.